You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. It's a great Sunday, isn't it? Don't you just love how, how baptism is really messy? There's just no way, there's no way to get baptized without there being a mess. Uh, I've instructed baptisms over the years, and I always just say, look, you know, you're going to hold your nose, um, I'm going to hold your arm, and you're going to go like a wet noodle in the water, and, and I'll, I'm going to bring you back up, and everybody's going to clap and shout, and it's going to be amazing. But there's no, like, clean way of doing that. It's a mess. And today we're going to be talking about how we as a church should embrace the mess of ministry. In Proverbs 14.4, we're given an interesting verse. It's just a timeless truth. And it's on the screen behind me. And it says this. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. This is a timeless sort of universal truth about how abundant crops come. Abundant crops come through the ox. Strong, large ox. Or this verse says oxen. And that's how they come. That's the only way that they come. Abundant crops come by the strength of these large, smelly, gross, hairy animals called ox. Uh, that are enormous responsibilities to, to have. Uh, the only problem with the ox is that they don't leave a manger clean. There's, n- there's no way to have a clean stable with a bunch of smelly oxen around. But that's what it takes to have an abundant crop. So no ox is what this is saying. No ox, if you don't have oxen in the stable, it's clean. But if you have ox, you have a messy stable, but you have abundant crops. So this is an either-or situation that we have in front of us. You can have a clean stable, or you can have abundant crops. But you cannot have both at the same time. This year, our theme has been on reaching and equipping the next generation. And if I could put it that truth kind of into the theme of what this year has been about, I'd say it like this. You can have a clean and an easy and an unmessy and a really tidy church, or you can reach and equip an abundance of smelly, gross, hairy animals (laughs) of enormous responsibility of kids and teenagers. And if I could just... Be honest about myself. I don't like a mess. If you really know me, which my family really knows me, I don't like a mess. I'm the kind of guy that first thing I do in the morning is I make my bed because I just have to have that little bit of control in my life to tidy things up because I don't like a mess. And my family affectionately called me when the kids were really little the toy Nazi because Anywhere I saw a toy on the ground, I'm like, get that, that toy needs to get out of here. It all needs to stay in the playroom. I didn't like the idea of toys like coming out of the playroom and littering, you know, my order of my life. And so I was constantly telling people to get the toys 
out of here. And now I'm actually called like the kitchen Nazi. That's just moved over to the kitchen. Now I'm like, <laughs> why is there a bowl in the sink? Who, who left this bowl in the sink? Where did, this, where did this fork come from? You know, I'm that guy at our house. I don't like a, a mess in my life. But here's what I do like. I like fruitfulness. I like growth. I like new life. I like all those things, but I don't like a mess. And so what I've had to do over the years is, and I had to learn this as a parent, I've had to learn this in ministry as a pastor for so many years, is that you can't have both of these things at the same time. If we want fruitfulness, if we want growth, if we want new life, you have to embrace a mess. You have to embrace an untidy stable. And, and so uh, over and over again over the years, I've had to just come to a place of saying, Lord, help me to embrace the mess of ministry. And so very briefly this morning, I'm going to talk about what it takes for us to embrace the mess. Three things that we need God to do in us so that we embrace the mess of reaching and equipping the next generation. I'm just going to share a few, look at a few passages as we as we look at a, a few truths. Here's, here's the truth. Number one, we need new eyes to see the generations in front of us. Number two, we need a new confidence in the gospel. And thirdly, we need a new willingness to say yes to anything that he would call us to. First, let's look at new eyes to see. New eyes to see. In Matthew 9, there's a familiar passage. It's on the screen behind me. Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. So crowds are coming to Jesus, all to be healed, all to be touched. He's the only one that can do what nobody else can do in their lives. And verse 36 says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep. Without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As crowds are, are coming to Jesus, and you'll see over and over again in the New Testament that all kinds of people flock to Jesus wealthy people, poor people, old people, young people people with a big religious background and people who had no religious background at all, all come, all come to Jesus. And they come to Jesus for different reasons, but in this context, he's healing them of diseases and afflictions. And when he sees them, it says that he, he had a compassionate heart. He felt compassion for them because he sees them as they are. And the text is harassed and helpless. That word compassion means actually to be moved in one's bowels. It's not just a mental idea that I, I, I think a certain way. It's actually I feel a certain way about the people in the crowds. Literally, you could translate it a gut-wrenching feeling right here in your bowels about the people in front of you. Have you ever felt that? You know what it feels like to have this gut wrenching compassion for somebody. That's what Jesus has as he's looking out at the crowds that are moving in, that are coming close to him. And the reason that he feels the way that he feels and the reason that he has this gut-wrenching feeling towards them is that he sees them in the condition that they are. They are harassed and they are helpless in front of him. 
that word harassed, it doesn't just mean that they're like bothered or annoyed. Uh, the, the root word of that is actually to, to flay or to lacerate. The depiction in that way is that they, they are like skinned alive. You could translate it that way. That's what it means to be harassed. That word helpless means to be dispersed and scattered and to be cast off. So as he sees them in their spiritual condition, he sees a crowd of people moving in towards him that you could say are skinned alive and cast aside. Skinned alive, cast aside. This is the condition, as I look out at a generation in front of us, the generation of people who are cast off and skinned alive. And as we look out at the crowds in front of us, we need eyes to see the way Jesus sees. You see, we don't arrive at a gut-wrenching compassion unless we see people the way that they are. If you're a sheep without a shepherd, you are skinned alive and cast aside. And the only way that we arrive at compassion is to see with the eyes of Jesus. The only way that we pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out labors into that harvest. The only way that we embrace a crowd instead of wanting to move away from that crowd and get as far away from those people as possible is that we see with new eyes, that we see with the eyes of Jesus. This is, this is a miracle that we need God to do by his Holy Spirit in us, that we would see people in their spiritual condition regardless of how they look on the outside. See, you could come in here today and you could look like Everything in your life is perfect, and you're not really in need of anything. You could go out today into a thousand different venues, and you could look at people that look like they have it all together. You could interact with a teenager. You could interact with a college student or kid, and they look like they've got everything together. But according to this, they're skinned alive and cast aside, and we have to have a gut-wrenching compassion for people in that precarious position. Because if you're a sheep without a shepherd, there's not this either-or. There's not this middle place. You're either safe and sound or you're cast aside and in a dangerous position. We've got to feel compassion. We've got to feel compassion for the crowd. And if you don't have any compassion in your heart, I would encourage you to take drastic action. Uh, here he's saying, pray earnestly. And now I think that's, a, uh, that's our call. Pray earnestly. God, give me what you have. Give me your eyes to see. Because I don't see Move in my heart when my heart feels cold. I want to encourage you to go, to go to the crowds. Go to a middle school at 3 p.m. or go to a high school. And you have a lot to choose from. There's like 14 public schools and multiple private schools and all kinds of co-op groups. Go to where the crowds are. And then go look at them and take the words harassed and helpless and put it over the crowds. And just stay there. Look indiscriminately at every single teenager as you see them come out of their school. And, 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 and stay there. Don't move off. Stay there. Look at the crowds. It begins with seeing. It begins with looking. And ask God to give you the eyes of faith to see them in their spiritual condition, harassed and helpless. Until you feel something in your gut. New eyes to see. This is what Paul Miller said. He said, often we don't know how to begin, but we can look. We might not feel compassion, but we can concentrate on the other person. 
By keeping the other person in front of us, we're opening up the door to compassion. Let's, let's look and not turn away. Let's look at those who are right in front of us and ask the Holy Spirit to give us new eyes to see. With new eyes to see, we move on to a, a new confidence in the gospel. I didn't ask you if you believe the gospel. I believe that most in this room believe the gospel as I do. But what we need is a renewed confidence, a renewed confidence in the gospel. From 2009 to 2021, I'm told that a share of American high school students say that they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, which is rose 26% to 44% according to the CDC over just those years. It's the highest level of teenage sadness ever recorded. And, and there's all kinds of data coming out about this kind of sadness. And so psychologists and sociologists are really putting their heads together and they're saying, what does this generation need? What are they so desperate for? One, uh, one psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, and another guy wrote a book. And, and one of their big, part, uh, big uh, ideas is that teenagers today need to recover a sense of awe, they would say. That one of the things that so many teenagers and kids need is a, what they would say, is a perceived vastness. That's how they would define awe. A perceived vastness. It's part of their spiritual development. It's part of their emotional development is that everybody needs moments where they perceive something vast and great and grand and beyond them that makes them shift and change because they can't do anything about that. They've got to adjust and change. They can't change that. And that's the vastness that they need to perceive. They call that accommodation. It's a reshaping uh, of our existing understanding of the world around something that is tremendous and grand and towering and glorious. It's something that upends our understanding of the world, that exposes us to things we don't yet understand, and then even scrambles our brains to make sense of it. This is what psychologists are saying students need. Kids need this. They need perceived vastness. And what the Bible calls perceived vastness is to see glory. That word glory is the vastness that the angels perceive every moment of the day. As they call out one to another, as they perceive this vastness, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. As they're perceiving this vastness, this glory of God. This glory resonates off the face of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. The very God who created the universe has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We perceive glory. We receive and perceive something towering and grand and amazing and breathtaking in the face of Jesus Christ. That is in the person and the work of Jesus, in the dying and rising of a Savior for people, in the bloody face of Jesus because of his great love for us. When we perceive the vast and endless love of an incredible Savior like that, we glare and stare into glory. And it's the healthiest thing for our souls. It's the healthiest thing for us. And God is passionate to shine his glory both in this generation and in the next generation. I was substitute teaching for kindergarten a few weeks ago. 
in Grace Kids and Carrie Jernigan, who's our, uh, she coordinates our curriculum for our early childhood classrooms and kind of oversees all of the downstairs classrooms. I had just a few minutes to prepare. Uh, there was a, a need. I said yes to it. Uh, I wasn't ready for what the lesson was at all, but, you know, hey, if you preach a few times a year, you think, I can, I can teach kindergarten. I'm okay. <laughs> and all the kindergarten teachers said, you're an idiot, you know. <laughs> Uh, you are an idiot. So I show up at this, and Carrie starts to go over. She says, you know, the lesson today is on Joshua chapter 3 and 4. She says, do you remember the story of Joshua chapter 3 and 4? I, I'm confessing I totally lied to Carrie. I said, uh, yes, I remember. I've read it, but I don't remember the story. So she starts going into, it's, you know, it's the story where, you know, Joshua and uh, the priests take the Ark of the Covenant, and they go across the Jordan River, and the Jordan River parts, and then they create like a memorial of stones. And I'm nodding my head, like some of you are, you remember the story? And I'm like, kinda, kinda. I was having a hard time remembering the story. And as she's explaining it, I'm like, well, this is, this is way more complicated than I was prepared for. This is harder than I imagined. I'm gonna teach kindergartners, and I'm trying to think, how am I gonna differentiate this? miracle of parting the Jordan from the miracle of the Red Sea. Now, this is Joshua. This isn't, you know, Moses. This is, uh, this is a different story. It's a different context. You know, you've got the Ark of the Covenant here. So I'm just trying to think, how do I teach this? And then she's like, well, well here's what's going to help you. I have stations set up. So I'm prepared for like a coloring sheet and a story. And she's got stations where you're going to be coloring and cutting. And she's got these little stones and glue. And she said, you know, watch the glue. Not all the kids know how to handle the glue. And so now I'm thinking, oh, how do I handle the glue? This is complicated. I'm trying to think Ark of the Covenant, and I'm thinking glue. And, and, then, and then, you know, then we got water and stones. She's got like a pool of water back there. Uh, what kid doesn't enjoy that? And so she's saying, well, here's what you do with these stones. You know, you stack them after you kind of wash them. And then you go over here, and you can walk across the Jordan. Uh, you know, she's got these stones laid out. So she's just got all these stations. And so I start to teach it very badly. I just start, you know, I get my classroom in there and I introduce myself and I'm the sub in and I'm starting to teach uh, these, these kids. As I'm moving station to station, it starts to dawn on me that what this story is all about is God repeating a miracle that he did in one generation for the next generation. And in the midst of all of this mess, like, truth just falls on me. I almost start weeping. Like, God cares about the next generation so much that the story of what they had heard about with Moses and the Red Sea, as grand as that was, wasn't enough. He wanted to show the next generation his own power and his own glory because they had their own river to cross. They had their own challenges that they had to face. And he loves the next generation. And so we're just walking through all these stations. And, it, and it, you know, I'm, I'm the one benefiting the most from this whole, <laughs> this whole deal. But it was like, I was telling the student, hey, God, God, God wants to show his power in your generation. And there's, there's a verse in there that where God says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So that in the same way that they stood in awe with Moses, they will stand in awe with Joshua. They will perceive vastness 
in this next generation. Matthew Henry comments that the miracle of the Red Sea was uh, crossing under Moses was repeated in the Jordan River crossing under Joshua to show that God has the same power to finish the salvation of his people that he had to begin it. God has the same power in this generation and desires to show his glory to the next generation. Are you confident in that? Have you, have you lost your confidence in this? He wants to renew this today. He wants to renew your confidence that the same power that he had and it has shown up in your life and in your generation, he is transferring to the next generation. He is passionately and committedly and faithfully involved in the next generation. And it's, it's an unstoppable commitment that he has to Generation Z and Generation Alpha. Lastly, lastly is a new willingness to say yes. See, when the crowds came to Jesus, Jesus said yes to the crowds when everybody else wanted the crowds to go away. In Matthew 14, there's a, a, a passage where he, it says, he went ashore and he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion. There it is again. He had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over hear the contrast crowds are coming but all the disciples see is desolation the day's now over send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves it sounds like a responsible statement but really it was born out of unbelief send them away we don't want those people near anymore we're tired uh, we've had enough. We, we've been good for a while, but now we're over the crowd. Well, Jesus wasn't over the crowd. He had compassion for them. He loved them. And then he says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. What, what Jesus does in this moment is he says, the, the one standing before you can cause a miracle to take place. And just like Moses and just like Joshua, there's going to be moments where I'm going to put you up against the impossible and ask you to do, ask me to do what only I can do. Where you throw up your hands and say, I, we can't feed these people. Well, you can't feed them any more than you could cross the Red Sea or cross the Jordan. But Jesus can. Jesus can heal their sick and Jesus can give them something to eat in a desolate place. And so what Jesus says is, ask of me. To do something that is impossible. Well, they, they said to him, we don't have this part up on the screen, but I'm just going to read. They said, well, we only have five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, well, bring them to me. He orders the crowd to sit down, takes the five loaves and the two fish, looks up to heaven, prays over what little they have, and gave them to the crowd. And says so they all ate and were satisfied. And then he took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. So he broke it, he blessed it, he gave it away, and now they have, each of them, a basket full left over of what little they had. And it's just a story that when we say yes to Jesus, when we, when we give him our little in the hands of Jesus, he turns it into much. And he does it for the crowds in front of him, and he does it out of his compassion for people. Our students, the teenagers of our church, do a once-a-month outreach 
They call it love your neighbor. It's essentially this. They gather here at the church. This happened yesterday. They gather here at the church and pray and go and scatter out in groups of twos and threes. And they pray for anything that people have need of, big or small, they say. And all kinds of requests come in. Um, my aunt has cancer to my dog is sick. And, uh, and they pray for them. And then they use that as an opportunity to bridge over into sharing the gospel. And so they do this every month. And on Friday night, you know, it's raining, it's cold. I, I didn't want to go on Saturday morning. I was like the adult that was supposed to kind of come in and be the sponsor. And um, you got to have at least one adult. So I'm kind of asking her, any other adults going? And nobody else was going. <laughs> nobody else was planning on going. Uh, but the students were planning on coming. So I said, okay, I'm going to go. And so right before we go out, I just kind of confessed, guys, I, I just be honest, I, don't, I didn't want to come. Now I see you and uh, let's, you know, God's given me grace and faith to do this, but, you know, uh, let's, let's pray and ask God for help. And so we did, we prayed, and then we started to, to go out. And so as we're going, uh, I'm with a teenager, a teenager who took off work to be a part of this outreach and scheduled it and the whole thing. And I'm with this, this teenager, and we see two, uh, two ladies standing off by themselves, just, you know, just down the road. And, and we just went up to them, and we just said, hey, we're just going out. We're just asking for anybody, any prayer requests that you have, big or small. And uh, she, one of them, opens up and says, actually, thank you. Uh, my, mother-in-law had, uh, my mother-in-law has broken feet. And she didn't go into great detail, but she said, can you please pray for my mother-in-law who has broken feet? And we kind of asked them where they were from. They're from China. And as, as she shared this, we said, well, we'll take that prayer request back to the group, and we'll for sure, pray for that. And then we just said, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And she said, no. We explored um, Buddhism a little bit, but I, I don't really have any spiritual beliefs. So that kind of led into a conversation where we're actually talking about, you know, have you ever explored the Bible, ever explored the, the person of, of Jesus? And she said she hadn't. And there's two of them, and one who was sitting, you know, standing next to her was saying nothing. And so we kind of were kind of catching this vibe, like maybe we need to wrap this up because Maybe she was annoyed, and we just need to kind of hurry this up. But she, the other one was really listening and really engaged on everything we were saying. And I tell the students, like, we have this thing that we say, you know, go through the Gospels, start with God, created us to be with them, go into sin. And I'm, I've lost the script. I'm all over the map. I'm going here and there, and I'm just all over the place. And I'm like, oh, I need to get back, you know. But she's listening. We're sharing. Uh, at some point, in the midst of us talking about the gospel and talking about Christ and new life and forgiveness of sins and how he kept the law so that you, you can't keep the law and you don't have to keep the law. Jesus kept the law. We're going to all this stuff. At one point, the one that was quiet that we thought was totally annoyed us says, I have to say something. Everything that they are saying is true. And I'm a Christian. And so she starts sharing her testimony about how she came to faith in Christ and how she goes to a, goes to a church and so then it's, you know, now all three of us are kind of talking about, you know, life with Christ. And it was just an amazing moment uh, where we're just blown away by how God is, is faithful. And then we all come back, we're sharing our stories, and all kinds of people opened up to these students and asked for prayer requests. And one by one, we're, we're just sharing how God was faithful to show up in a very, we, in a, with a very small group on a very cold Saturday where we just didn't want to do it. And we felt like we had five loaves and two fish, and he 
gave us all a basket full afterwards. So that's what it felt like. It felt like we all had a basket full of broken pieces left over. Uh, and it was all out of just saying yes. It's just saying yes to him. And so that, that willingness to say yes, what's, what's the yes for the next generation that God's calling you to? Is it a yes to serving in a new way? Is it a yes to foregoing a preference? Is it a student that lives next door to you? Is it a shift or a change in your perspective on the next generation? Is it saying yes to that foster child? Or to helping that family in our church who is fostering or adopting? There's all kinds of ways to say yes to the next generation. Even as a church, what we're doing right now is we're, we're praying and we're dreaming about what it means to say yes in the days to come to like crossing cultural boundaries to advance the gospel. We're just praying as a church, what does it mean, Lord, right now? For us to have open hands and open heart to say yes to whatever you would have. To basically say, God, here's our five loaves and two fish. And we're going to put these in your hands and ask you to multiply it. And that's what we've been praying about this year. Lord, help us with the next generation. We, we will not do this perfectly, but here's our five loaves. Here's our two fish. Here's our yes. Please help us. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.